Welcome to the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust podcast on writing great grants. This year, we're proud to mark 45 years serving the nonprofit community of the Pacific Northwest. As a private nonprofit foundation, we've invested more than $1 billion through capacity building grants, enrichment programs, and convenings for nonprofits with a desire to help organizations flourish and thrive in order to serve the common good of our communities. On this show, we provide real-world insights and tactical information from experts in the field to help grow the capacity of nonprofits, strengthen organizations for the long term, and support leaders in their fundraising and grant application efforts. On today's episode, we sit down with Megan Bigelow to talk about how founders of organizations can effectively and efficiently hand off leadership when it's time to transition to new opportunities. Megan is the founder of PDX Women in Tech, a nonprofit that supports underrepresented communities to establish and grow careers in the tech space. She graduated from Washington State University before earning her MBA at Merrillhurst University. She's currently a director of reliability engineering at VMware. Enjoy today's episode. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are thrilled to have you this week. I am really excited to be here too. Thank you for having me. Now, for our listeners that are maybe not familiar, can you share the story behind PDX Women in Tech, what it is and kind of what it has grown into? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And uh, 2012 is when PDX WIT formed and it was started out of a desire, a personal desire to connect with other women in, in tech, to be honest, what back in 2012, which feels like a million years ago now, <laughs> uh, it was really difficult to find other people who I felt like I could relate to uh, in my work. And so I decided it made sense to create some kind of ongoing gathering. I wasn't expecting it to carry forward for as many years as it did. But uh, back in those days, we were just expecting to meet monthly and things just swelled. People were interested. We started with 15 people meeting up at a bar, and now we're at over 8,000 people in the community um, meeting four plus times a month right now, virtually, of course. But in our heyday, we were meeting in person four to five times a month with upwards of 200 people at some of the events. And, you know, of course, our purpose has morphed over time, but the, the original intent was a very informal method to just meet other people that uh, I myself and others could relate to, to build community. And uh, it seemed like there was a really important need that was um, met there and and allowed us to continue into current day eight years later. So this is your brainchild. It just kind of comes out of your you're, you're noticing a, a need in the community. Did you have prior to this, did you have nonprofit leadership experience? Did you have, uh, you know, experience starting an organization like this, or were you kind of starting from the ground up? 100% never done those things before starting from the ground up. I mean, I was just a technical person uh, that had like a regular day job and I had no idea how to do any of that. In fact, I didn't know how to do it so much so that I avoided it for a number of years, uh, meaning we carried on as an organization, inform- not, not really a formal organization, we just met informally for three years. And uh, any expenses were just things that I would buy myself, like name tags or pens and 
I just had like relationships with these different companies that were willing to open their doors to us, even though we didn't have any proper, like, you know, organizations standing. And it wasn't until like the fourth year in, there was someone, a company actually had decided they wanted to help us, like support us in some way. And I can't remember exactly what it was but I had no real way of accepting their money. <laughs> and so it was like, okay, we better figure out how to do this because it doesn't make sense for them to just write me a personal check. Uh, and also I really wanted to build, do my best to build a foundation that could scale. And certainly one person buying all the name tags and supplies doesn't scale. And so I just like literally put a call out on Facebook back in the day and said, anyone interested in helping us form a nonprofit? And then I just got connected to a pro bono attorney and then everything just kind of like happened. <laughs> wow. So it starts as this idea. It, it, it just is kind of this informal gathering for a few years and then becomes a formal nonprofit. And now is, you know, 8,000 members strong in weekly meetings and, you know, this, this huge force but then this year is a big transition year for, for PDX Wit and for you personally. Tell me what's going on and tell our listeners what's going on this year. Yeah, this year was in fact a very big year. So I have to, before I can talk about what happened this year, let me talk about the fact that in 2018, uh, after the organization had been around for, I guess that would have been what, six years, uh, it was very clear that we couldn't do any, we couldn't continue without more staff support. And we had gotten a grant and were able to hire a part-time executive director, which, you know, that kind of allowed us volunteers, especially myself, to kind of step away a little bit, although we were very much still involved in the operations, and especially myself. And anyway, having her join really opened up a lot of additional opportunities for new things that we could do. So, so we were never, as we were discussing before this podcast started, you know, you, you think you're solving a problem by like letting something go, but then you find more time or more things to do. And so by bringing her on, we were actually could do more. And so we took advantage of it. And, uh, you know, over time, it became clear to me that it was, I've been doing it for eight years. And in 2020, yeah, at the beginning of 2020, I'd been doing this for eight years. And my kids were born after I started PDX Wit, and I was just thinking it's time for me to shift and make way for others. And uh, I stepped down from my board position uh, the end of February. So right before COVID, which was definitely not expected or planned. Uh, and then actually a few months later, I wrapped up all my volunteer activity. So I am quite literally the advisor that just kind of hangs around behind the curtain and helps out every once in a while. But uh, it's a very different role than I had had in the previous eight years. I can only imagine. And that's really the topic that we wanted to dive into today and why we were so excited to, to have you as a guest, because our podcast is really about helping nonprofits grow and develop and executive transitions and founder transitions can be a significant challenge and something that organizations don't always plan for. Um, can you talk a little bit about when you started to think that it was time for you to step away from your previous capacity at PDX Wit and kind of what that process looked like? Yeah, I would say that this happened over a couple of different iterations. So the first one was the recognition, as we've discussed, where 
more dedicated support was needed to run the organization. And that came out of a, a, a sort of a recognition that we could do more, but it wasn't possible without someone who was getting paid to do it and had the time to do it, right? And so that was kind of step number one. Now, at that point, there was, I had, it wasn't even in my mind that I would ever leave the organization, especially as its, as its board president. I, uh, that, that just didn't even occur to me. But, you know, it kind of started the, the, the sort of transition without me even realizing it. And then working with her, Elizabeth Stock, who is our executive director, working with her over the course of two years, she began to take on more responsibilities. And then my responsibilities at home and at work were increasing. And so I would start to transition more things to her. Again, still not thinking that I would ever shift from being involved in the organization, but just organically kept adding more responsibility to her. Eventually, she became full-time, started driving a lot more of the company's or the organization's thought leadership and direction and, um, you know, it wasn't until the end, uh, actually, I know what it was. She went on maternity leave, actually, at the in 2019, which was fantastic that as an organization, we were able to support her in taking four months off or three months off, one of the two. But during that period, it was like back to the old days where I was taking over, given I had shifted my time so much to my other work. And it was in that sort of period of covering for her that it became very clear that it was time for me to think about an exit strategy. Hadn't discussed it with her yet, but that's when it came up for me. So it, it seems like there was kind of a, there was a lot of thought that went into the handoff. There wasn't a lot of just, here you go, you're, you're in charge now. Um, was there, were there any, in terms of the mechanics of that transition, were there any outside resources or partners or, or any other kind of outside tools that you looked to or, or leaned on to kind of structure that? Or did you just kind of wing it as, as things happened? Well, okay. So let me tell you that I realize now, as you're asking me this question that I did seek outside support, but this was way like two years prior let me, let me explain. So right as we were, we being KDX Wit were deciding if we should hire an executive director, I was actually going through a period where I felt like we had to make a choice. Uh, do we invest in hiring someone to take over the organization or do we end the organization? Because the workload was becoming so much that it couldn't possibly continue in its current state. And as I was, you know, obviously the board and I were evaluating those options, but I reached out to Luke Caney's, the former, you know, the founder of Puppet, actually. And he had recently stepped down from his role at Puppet. And he agreed to meet with me for like 30 minutes. Now, Puppet is a very different organization, mm -hmm. but I wanted to get his take on being the founder and having built something that, you know, by many measures was just kind of this amazing, out, out, you know, product. And I wanted his, his uh, thoughts on how did he let it go? And, you know, what he said to me in that conversation was, you know, there becomes a point where you, um, you know, you have to first kind of put for, forward the intent of what you want to do. And then you've got to just get to a point where you're ready to let go of it and kind of walk away. Mm -hmm. And now that was way before I actually was ready to do that, but it stuck with me. 
And back, you know, fast forward to 2019, when we're in the middle of covering for Elizabeth during her leave, I remembered that conversation. And I was like, you know, I think it's time for me to start to think about how much um, personal attachment I have wrapped up in this organization and figure out what it's going to take personally to disentangle it so I can feel like I can walk away, but feel like it's still leaving it in a space that is it's possible for it to continue to grow without me. And that's where it began. But otherwise, I did not seek help in the transition. It was Elizabeth and I mapping things out, me meticulously documenting anything that I did or slowly finding new owners until it just became very clear that there was only one thing left to do and that was resign. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's really how it happened. It was quite organic, just like everything else in the organization. So when you, you've made, uh, made this decision and Elizabeth is coming back from maternity leave and you realize, okay, this whole, you know, initial concept of, you know, do we bring somebody on board full time or not? We've done that. And there needs to be another transition here, a very meaningful transition, because you really are and were the heart and soul of, of PDX Wit. At that point, what is your conversation cascade like? Do you first meet with your board? Do you meet with some key volunteers? Do you have the conversation with Elizabeth first so that she's kind of in the loop? Talk us through what that looked like. Yeah. So the very first thing I did was talk to her. So when she was back from leave, I just I made sure we had that conversation as early as possible. She was approaching things with a fresh, you know, mindset. And um, we agreed that that was that was the right thing to do for, for myself. And we could make it work for the organization. And I think there were a couple of other trusted volunteers that I notified, but I, I was really careful to share the news too broadly because if taken out of context, it, it, could, it could have backfired, right? It could have sent a signal that we didn't want to send. Now, I, I don't know that that would necessarily be the case for other types of nonprofits, but ours is so community driven and I was such a you know, key ingredient to that that I didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea. So we took it quite slow. That was in November of 2019. And, uh, you know, I didn't actually officially resign until February. So there was a period where we started the process just between us and then uh, carefully crafted sort of how, you know, the, the messaging in the sense of like, how do we make sure that this kind of flows out to the world in a way that is positive and meaningful? And so we decided that first I would talk to the board and make sure they were clear about it and understood why. And then we crafted communications that could be shared more broadly. So it, it really was a behind the scenes thing until it became a more public facing change in which our newsletter was used to, you know, announce in a way that it was a personal message for me. And you guys, uh, you, you, you were, I believe the first guest on the PDX wit podcast, which was an excellent venue to, kind of connect with the, uh, the audience as well, which is great. How important was that to, to engage, you know, in a, in a nonprofits in general have a very dedicated support base and PDX wood is no, no, uh, is, is no different. How important do you think that was that you personally were out talking and engaging and kind of helping walk through that as opposed to just a, you know, a, a general memo to the, to the community, Megan's leaving. Uh, you know, how important was that? 
I think it was really important. I, I've always taken my role PDXWIT really, really seriously. And, and, and not in the sense that, you know, I, I, I did all my tasks and followed through with everything. In the sense that I knew that many people looked up to me and looked up to how the organization started. And, and I felt like I owed it to them to be as honest and candid about how I was processing all of this and what I needed in my personal lives. Not only so that they could understand why we were doing this at, as, at the organi- with the organization, but perhaps it could help them navigate future decisions in their own personal lives. I mean, every one of us has so many com- com- competing things in our day and in our world. And especially now with COVID, which wasn't even part of the conversation back then. Um, And so we're constantly making trade-offs. And especially as a parent, we're constantly making decisions about, do I work extra more, like a couple more hours? Do I stop and I hang out with my kids? Do I, you know, do I take on these extra projects? And I felt like that struggle that I had was really important to share. So I think it also allowed for some closure. Because in, in a little bit of an official turning over the baton, because for me, I care deeply about Elizabeth's ability to um, have the support from the organization. And I know everyone supported her, but I wanted to make sure that folks really saw that fair handoff and that trust kind of shifting from me to her as she carried forward our mission. So I think you know, Phoenix Wood's very fortunate that we have so many avenues to connect directly with people. But I, I think given how much blood, sweat, and tears gets invested into volunteer work and for nonprofits, I think it's a really critical ingredient to that transition. Hindsight's obviously 2020, but now having walked through the process, are there any lessons that you know now or things that you know now that you wish you would have known or wish you would have done differently when you started this whole process, either you know, back in November or two years ago, at any point, work, working your way up? Interesting. I, you know, I think the one that comes to mind for me is slightly different answer to your question, but I think I moved too slow. I think I should have passed the baton sooner. Now, I don't know that the organization would have been able to let me go sooner, but if I had been thinking about it earlier, we could have Work, put the wheels in motion in a, in a sooner, you know, differently such that I could have gone sooner. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, having invested so much of myself, especially my time into the organization, I I started to not know the difference between my where my feelings began and ended and where PDX wit began and ended. It was so blurred. And I think that that's totally... I mean, that's, that's something that happens with any kind of founder where they just are so invested in the success of what they started that they might actually, you know, even though to the best of their intentions, it might not actually be best for the organization. And, and I don't think that anything I did was detracting from the organization, but it, it became a harder and harder thing for me to do. And I think it, it made it difficult for some people just in terms of how much I was putting in versus what other people could put in, which I think created a little bit of a prop um, that, you know, we had to account for as we were trying to staff um, for my departure. So I think, I think I hung on a little longer than probably 
made the most sense. And, um, but in terms of the transition itself, I can't think of anything that we could have done differently or that I would do differently in hindsight, other than perhaps starting it sooner. Okay. Um, and you guys also, as, as we've talked about, have done, you did so many things in my opinion and in the opinion of others really smartly. Um, I don't know that that's the smartest way to say that phrase, but, um, you, you did things really, really well and, and really thoughtfully. And so I'd love to, you know, hear from you, you know, two, three, you know, a couple of things that you feel when you look back on your transition that you really nailed. And you think that, you know, other organizations, if they're walking through the process, they should be thinking about the exact same thing or considering the same steps. Yeah, I would say the, the the things that we nailed would be the way in which the message was disseminated, you know, waiting for it to be a more of a, a specific announcement with supporting assets like the podcast or like a, or a blog post that I wrote. I think that was awesome. I think leading up to that, there were a couple of pieces, situations that we, Elizabeth and I, did uh, handled that also set this paved, paved the way. And, and one of them was at our holiday, uh, we have a end of the year event, typically in December. And uh, in that, in that event, Elizabeth and I both took the stage and we acknowledged that like, you know, two white women standing in front of an audience of people that is uh, I don't know, um, a broader demographic than that. It, it didn't make sense for, us to be the ones standing in front together anymore. Like we needed to, we needed to create space for other people to take front and center. And we acknowledge that in that event. And even though it wasn't that, oh, Megan's leaving the organization, we set the path for like a recognition that we wanted to make room for other people. Uh, and I think that was an important step as well. And then finally, really the fact that we, over our history have been so good at documenting process and handoffs were clear that it, it actually helped do that transition because it was less about here's some ambiguous thing that I did. There was lots of documentation already that it could be handed over and it made it easier for someone else to take over. Excellent advice, all words of wisdom that I, I think a lot of people are going to want to put into into process because we, you know, this is something we run into a lot is, is organizations that are, you know, a, a founder starts something with a vision and then that vision kind of reaches a plateau or reaches a, a certain level and then it's time to move it on to the next the next generation and uh, you guys have done amazing work with PDX Wit. We've been so thrilled to be able to to observe the growth of that organization and see see where it's, it's come from and excited to see what happens next. Uh, Megan, um, we, we've kind of gone through all the questions I had. Was there anything else that you want to make sure we cover? Anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's just important to acknowledge how much support you and your organization have given us. I mean, it's people like you and, uh, you know, advocates of our work that are so critical to us just like existing. <laughs> And, you know, some of the support that you've provided to us has actually been able to keep us really energized through this really difficult time of COVID. I mean, so much of what we built our organization on was dependent on the ability to meet people face to face. And because we had um, investment into a, our mentorship program, which we did, you know, almost entirely online has allowed us to continue to, to offer such a rich 
our experience to our community. Uh, so I just want to make sure that you know and your organization knows how much we 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 acknowledge and appreciate all the work that you've done for us. Well, we're we're happy to do it, and we're we're happy to be a, a partner. And uh, like you said, uh, find ways to elevate more voices and get more people front and center, and make those connections. Um, last question before I let you go, uh, I gotta know. Sitting back eight years later, what started as you know fifteen people meeting, you know, for drinks, and you know eight thousand people, and the constant stories that you hear of people whose lives have been changed, you know, families have been changed generational change in some ways as people have grown in their careers because of something that you started and something that you kind of brought into this world. Uh, how's that feel? You know, it's hilarious. I never take the minute to think about it until someone like yourself reminds me and it feels, it feels good. It feels really good. I appreciate you giving kind of asking me to reflect because I don't get to do that very often. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I had a dream and I achieved it and I'm just so grateful that it continues to be meaningful because it was so meaningful and continues to be so meaningful for me. And um, yeah, I don't have a lot of really articulate words here to describe how it feels other than, you know, I'm just a regular person that like gets caught up in my day to day and I forget that like, oh, the same story because of me. Whoa. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> of course. Of course. We always say that the promise of the nonprofit sector is the ability to change lives. And you have done that many, many times over. Megan Bigelow, thank you so much for joining us on, uh, on this week's episode. And uh, we're excited to see what, what's, what's next. Awesome. Thank you. It's so great to see you. Great. And that wraps up this episode of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust Podcast. For more information on nonprofit development and effective grant writing, as well as resources on leadership, board management, team building, and a variety of other topics in the nonprofit space, visit us online at MurdochTrust.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Murdoch Trust, on Facebook at Murdoch Charitable Trust, and on LinkedIn. Music for this episode was provided by Lobo Loco via the Free Music Archive. This episode of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust podcast was recorded by the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.